0: Hello and welcome to Broad's You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm Sarah Gorski, and I'm joined today by my friend Zach Livingston. Zach was with us last week for listeners who listen every week, but if you aren't sure who he is, let's find out a little more about him. Well, Zach, I'm going to ask you the question that I think is most important on this podcast. What is your personal definition of abroad? Because that word has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people.
1: That is a great question, because I remember when I first learned the name of the podcast, I I sat there and thought, broads, really? That's Mm -hmm. the word that's being used? Because in my mind, historically, it has kind of a pejorative feel to it. But I am also a big believer in uh, people reclaiming language and refashioning old things for new purposes. It's it's interesting to me how language is a living thing. And in fact, who has the power to define a term is something that's that's like a an active battlefront at all times.
0: But you haven't answered the question, Zach. You keep avoiding it. <laughs> what is your definition? You're right on everything you said. It's something we talk about quite a lot.
1: <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, we've covered that, bud. Um, anyways. <laughs> yeah I don't know i guess a i guess abroad to me is a woman who is making her own decisions and maybe earning some uh some appropriation for that fact.
0: I love it. I truly don't think there's a wrong answer to this question it's it's why I love asking it and I think yeah. it It says a lot about a person, too, and their own experiences and their own, you know, interactions. I cannot wait to hear who you've brought today. You've told me like a few things, like snippets that got me really excited. So who do you have today?
1: This is a historical figure that I have long been fascinated with from ancient Egypt.
0: Ancient Egypt?
1: That's right. And her name is Hatshepsut.
0: Hatshepsut.
1: Yeah, H-A-T-S-H-E-P-S-U-T. And Hatshepsut is one of the first and one of the very few women to become the pharaoh of a completely Whoa. united upper and lower Egypt.
0: The first female pharaoh?
1: One of the first and certainly the the most successful by by a lot of accounts. And also probably the one that uh, succeeding reigns of men tried the hardest to erase, um, which is... Hmm.
0: How suspicious. Yeah,
1: it's a <laughs> How well,
0: unusual in history. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, it,
1: it, that is something that comes into play in, in Egyptian history a lot because it goes on for so long. But I think in order to contextualize this properly, we need to just do a really brief overview of ancient Egypt and the timeline.
0: I heavily studied this shit when I was like in fourth grade. Yeah. And since then, all my knowledge is kind of evaporated. A lot
1: of people come (laughs) into it because they're interested in the pyramids or the Sphinx or Cleopatra. Um, or just wanting
0: to be an archaeologist.
1: Or just wanting I to be an archaeologist. Be Indiana Jones. I'm... I mean, <laughs> hell yeah. Let's be honest. Indiana Jones, yeah, is my entry into this whole thing, uh, which is so funny because some of those older movies are like so problematic now in so many ways. But I
0: still love them. I admit. I
1: do too. And I lo- the fascination with history has been, I mean, it's like a thing in my family. Like my mom is a big reader, and she, she just the other day sent me a printed article from a book or like a, a chapter from a book on the history of the Ottoman Empire. No shit. Yeah. So this this love of history.
0: It runs in your family.
1: For sure. And ancient Egypt has always been really fascinating to me because it is one of the oldest organized human societies and one of the biggest and one of the most important in terms of um, really developing human society and human culture you know being at the forefront of the agricultural revolution of writing of hmm. empire building all these different um th- i mean the pyramids are incredible marvels of engineering today yeah like, today it would be difficult to build something like that not impossible there's people who say oh we couldn't build the pyramids today that's not quite true we could totally build the pyramids today
0: cuz them and the aztecs right were like fucking yes. geniuses they were all yeah. geniuses
1: i mean just the the level of engineering ingenuity that's going on before the kind of heavy machinery and resources that we have now is just staggering when you think about mm-hmm. it. But there's also something with with ancient Egypt, and this we'll figure in later, about trying to figure out this timeline. Not mm. all Egyptologists agree on all of the dates. This will probably surprise a lot of people, but it is a debate. You don't actually always know for sure how old something is. And people might say, oh, what about carbon dating? Well, right. an, an important factor in carbon dating is that you need organic material to make it work. So if you're just sitting mm. there staring at a stone structure and it's just in ruins, you can't just grab a piece of it and, and shoot it off to the lab. Unless there's some kind of, you know, organic material in there like timber for existence that might be part of a stone structure.
0: Or would like a pot, like if they find like a pot or something like clay, yeah, does with that some, count?
1: Some seeds in it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it needs to be more organic than that. It needs to, it needs to have been an organic material. But then even, you know, when you're looking at ancient Egypt, and you're looking at like a building material like wood, wood is an exotic material.
0: That's yeah. not something
1: that they just have sitting around. It's not. They don't
0: have like forests all over there. Yeah,
1: it's the um, the geography and the climate don't support that kind of stuff. So even if you find wood in a pyramid, that wood might be two or three hundred years older than that the date of that pyramid because it was salvaged from another structure.
0: Well, now you have me wondering how many lies I've heard about the dates of ancient Egypt.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because there's the the established, accepted timeline of ancient Egypt, which is what I'm going to go off of here. But then there's also a lot of people are like, oh no, this society is, it, it, it's, it's not 4,500 years old, it's 30,000 years old or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Like, there's a I lot see of,
0: articles like that all the time. Yeah.
1: Like, you know, Aliens, helped build the pyramids, you know. So brief timeline of ancient Egypt. You've got the pre-dynastic era which is 4,300 to 3,000 BCE. In terms of dates, I'm gonna use BCE and CE, and that's before common era and common era. For those who don't know, those are the updated terms. In school, people might have remembered um, B.C. or A.D., and th- that refers to Before Christ and Anno Domini, but scholarship, thankfully, has moved on from sort of being a Christian-centric pursuit, and now we use B.C.E. and C.E. Sorry if that is... Uh, but the dates m-
0: are kind of the same. <laughs> they just changed the labels, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, just so it's it's clear what I'm saying. So pre-dynastic era, 4,300 3,000 B.C.E., Early Mm. dynastic era, 3000 to 2675 BCE. And then you have the Old Kingdom. The Old Kingdom is 2675 to 2130 BCE. This is dynasties three through eight. So Mm. this this is an important time period because this is when the Sphinx is most likely built and when the Great Pyramids... I know perfect.
0: what those two objects are. I know what they are. I love when I recognize things.
1: <laughs> there you go. So a lot of what people think of as, you know, ancient Egypt, they're thinking of, you know, Old Kingdom stuff. But you're dealing with a with a society here that spans over thousands of years. And their record keeping isn't always perfect either. And so mm. even by the time you get to the New Kingdom, where Hatshepsut is going to pick up off of, the New Kingdom starts in 1539 BCE.
0: 1539.
1: It it starts over a 1,000 years after the Old Kingdom starts. But this is still all ancient Egypt. You know, just imagine if America was thousands of years old and how much debate we would have. I mean, we have debates about stuff that happened yesterday. We have debates about stuff that happened 100 years ago in this country.
0: Yeah. Today? About things that happened yesterday? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to agree on a shared set of facts in this society right now anyway. So imagine living in a society where you're sitting around going, yeah, what did happen a thousand years ago? And by the time mm. the New Kingdom rolls around, they've forgotten who built the Sphinx. That information gets lost even before the Ptolemaic dynasties.
0: I feel surprised that there were no historians. I feel surprised there were not people specifically assigned that job.
1: There are, but, you know, they're not sitting around going, oh, yeah, right now it's the year 2675 BCE. You know, they're not calculating it that way. They're calculating the passage of years in a different way. They're using a different calendar. The way that the religion is being practiced changes over the course of hundreds of years. You know, Mm. oh, now um, Ra becomes really important. The sun god becomes really important. And then all the sort of priests and cults and religions start focusing more on that. That might change the way that time is counted. Over the span of time, Mm. the way that time is understood itself changes. And also the fact that these, when people rise to the level of Pharaoh, they're deified. Right. Um, They become, you know, kind of living gods in a way. And so they have huge power to get rid of things that previous pharaohs built. They can deface like strong things. They women's can stories exactly can get rid of. They those. can destroy things. Yeah, and we we're gonna get to that. Let me just quickly run through this. So, Old Kingdom, then you have the first intermediate period. There are three intermediate periods in ancient Egyptian history. Intermediate periods are essentially when um, the rulers of Egypt become a lot weaker, and the cohesive mm. power of the state becomes a lot weaker. You get people from adjoining states kind of invading Egypt, sometimes taking over Egypt. You have like mm-hmm. foreign rulers a, a few times. And then when a new kingdom comes around, that's when the state becomes strong again. Mm. And, and when the pharaohs are really becoming a lot more in control and when they start building a lot more things. And and a lot of how pharaohs are judged in terms of their greatness in in this timeline is what what they build because the the egyptians are some of the greatest builders in human history. Right, and the stuff that they put together is you know obviously still there and still very important. And pharaohs, the success of pharaohs, both during the time that they lived and also to some extent now is judged by what they were able to build, which mm-hmm. which includes things like, you know, funerary complexes and and temples devoted to them and their cults and things like that. The pyramids obviously yeah. being like sort of the most well-known example. So after the Middle Kingdom, you have the second intermediate period. So this is one of those periods and this is what's happening right before Tutmos comes along Tutmos the first who is the father of Hatshepsut the second intermediate period is marked by the hyksos rulers they were like a neighboring tribe and power structure that comes in and invades Egypt and takes over and they are in charge of Egypt for about 100 years and it's in terms of the timeline it's considered not great times <laughs> you know they're not really building stuff as written stuff. by the
0: egyptians yeah they're <laughs>
1: It's not considered awesome by the, people who, by the Egyptians who came along right after that. Then we get into the New Kingdom, and this is when Hatshepsut enters the scene. So the New Kingdom starts with Dynasty 18. Hatshepsut becomes ultimately the fifth pharaoh of the 18th dynasty. She is the second historically confirmed female pharaoh after Sobek Neferu.
0: I'm so glad they still called her Pharaoh and not like Pharaoh S or something stupid like that.
1: Well, that's going to come into play because what what, what has happened throughout Egyptian history is that sometimes there are queens and the queens are the regent. And so they are in charge of the throne for a period of time.
0: Right. But but they're not the, the Pharaoh.
1: But they're not the Pharaoh. And the reason stuff like that happens is because there is a Pharaoh in waiting you know if if a pharaoh a dies yeah exactly and the yeah. son is is 5 years old um yeah. and that's at, through
0: time i mean that's pretty consistent through time yeah exactly it's, it's, it's the queen regent
1: but that's not what happened with hatshepsut really so tutmos the 1st is sort of like really kickstarts the 18th dynasty and is very successful and strong and uh hatshepsut is sort of his favored daughter and so she learns about statecraft from him and how to run, you know, an entire country like Egypt. So he has a son, the II, who is actually considered somewhat illegitimate because, you know, the pharaohs have many, many wives. Thutmose II is, is the son of the pharaoh and I think a concubine.
0: But not a proper wife, so.
1: Yeah, but he's he's still the the closest thing because he's a man, so you know uh-huh. he gets to be pharaoh, even though Hatshepsut's claim to the throne by by blood is stronger. But she ends up being married to Thutmose II, even though he's her half brother.
0: Our listeners are used to this conversation. This is yeah. not the first. This is not the first exactly. royal to do such yeah. things.
1: <laughs> but Tutmose II is not. Uh, he's not a very strong leader, and he's not very healthy. He dies pretty early into his reign. And so his son the III is not even Hatshepsut's child. the II, just like his father the I, has a bunch of wives.
0: Yeah, well, that's because they were fucking brother and sister. <laughs> they were
1: gonna have a healthy <laughs> well, baby. Well, <laughs> they do have a they do have a child together.
0: Oh, they do, but
1: it's a daughter. Oh, so, god damn it. So yeah, obviously she can not inherit. <sighs> the mantle of Pharaoh, so Tutmose the third is born from Tutmos the second and an, and another wife, and so now Tutmos the third is in line to become Pharaoh, and so when Tutmos the second passes, when Hatshepsut's half brother and husband passes, she becomes the regent, and so her job is to kind of keep things together.
0: She does all the admin paperwork for the kid since the kid can't write yet and doesn't know a shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean there's she has a lot of honorary positions, including one called. Um, I think the God wife, which is a very important thing having to do with like the religious side of, of things. Religion is so, 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 so important to ancient, mm-hmm. to ancient Egypt. And we don't really have time to get into a now ton we of know. that stuff today. We're just going to kind of <laughs> deal with the lineage and the patriarchy and like just try to get through it. But essentially Hatshepsut was, just, was supposed to just kind of like keep the chair warm mm-hmm. and make sure that Thutmose III was ready to to succeed and to come into power for reasons that are still under debate, she said, Yeah, the hell with that noise. I'm going to be the pharaoh.
0: Fuck I'm, yes.
1: I'm doing this. And there's, you know, yes. there's, a f- there's a few different interpretations of, of why that might be. One of, one of the ones put forth is that she thought that's what was best for the kingdom. I mean, we're coming from, uh, you know, when the rulers are weak, Egypt is in danger. Egypt is always in danger of its, of its neighbors. You know, they're not the only ones who were
0: every country at this time is also like any weakness is going to be taken advantage of by your
1: neighbors. Exactly. You know, militarily speaking. And so she, the idea is that she said, well, I'm not going to let this place go to seed again. You know, my father taught me how to do this and I'm going to do it right. And so she
0: she pharaohed herself.
1: She pharaohed herself, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big deal because you kind of have to get the, the priest class to go along with this too and to be anointed as pharaoh. I mean, it's like huge But she sounds ceremony. like
0: super smart. Like it sounds like she knew how to manage all, the, all the, the pieces.
1: That's the thing is she already knew how to do all this. She already knew how to, how to run the country. She, she watched her father do it. There is no question. And then once she she was in there, she proceeded to be incredibly successful. So one of the things that she did was reestablish trade networks. So trade networks are extremely important at this period of time. This is how you get wealth. You know, you like Egypt, obviously really good at producing a lot of food due to the Nile River Delta, Um, but getting all these other things in there, you know, required trade. And a lot of these trade networks had been disrupted during the Hyksos occupation of Egypt during that second intermediate uh, period.
0: So people weren't making any money.
1: People weren't making money, you know? And so she is, is the one who kind of restarted that and she prepared and, and got the funding together for a mission to the land of Punt, which I may be uh, butchering the pronunciation of. And it, it, Punt is almost like a, like a mystical land. It, it's now <laughs> thought, to, thought to be modern day Eritrea. Um, And there are things, you know, it's a totally different climate. So there are things there that can't be had in Egypt. So she sent five ships, each one 70 feet long, bearing several sails and accommodating 210 men, then including uh, sailors and 30 rowers. A lot of trade was done, uh, notably frankincense and myrrh.
0: Ooh, that's big money shit. That was big money shit. That was
1: hugely important back in the day. Incense in, in Egypt is wildly important. This wasn't just like, oh, we have bags of myrrh. It was 31 live myrrh trees.
0: Shit. They carried those on the 70-foot boat?
1: Yes. Yeah, they wrapped them up in baskets carefully so that they could uh, replant.
0: Oh, they were probably little, like seedlings to be planted. Like yeah, smaller ones. Smaller
1: trees. Oh. Yeah. I was sure. thinking they
0: were kind of giant <laughs> like growth, and I was like, long. "How yeah. do you fit that on a boat?" <laughs> wow, Sarah.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> think they were probably little ones, but this is the first recorded attempt to transplant foreign trees in history, and it's reported that she had the trees planted in the courts of her mortuary uh, temple complex. So, yeah, I mean, this is so important that the expedition was commemorated in relief, you know, in stone. At Deir el-Bahari, which is um, famous for the uh, for the depiction of the queen of the land of Punt, Queen Ati, Hatshepsut also sent raiding expeditions um, to Byblos and the Sinai uh, Peninsula shortly after the Punt expedition. There's a lot less that's known about those. A lot of people say that her foreign policy was was mainly uh, peaceful, but there's discussion of military campaigns against Nubia and Canaan. The point of this is that she, after a period of Egypt being invaded and, ru- and ruled by outside forces, she was the one who put, put Egypt back on the map as a sort of international player.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and trade center. And,
1: and trade center and a place to be respected and not overrun. So the next thing you have is the building projects and Mm. Hatshepsut is one of the most prolific builders in all of ancient Egypt.
0: Of all of the pharaohs and all of their history? Of all
1: of the pharaohs, of all of the dynasties, of all of the different kingdoms.
0: We're talking
1: hundreds of construction projects throughout both upper and lower Egypt. And the buildings are enormous and, and grand and numerous some even and bigger and more numerous than uh the middle kingdom and in a, in a lot of circles you know the middle kingdom is considered sort of like i mean that's when the pyramids were built the sphinx that's considered sort of like prime time for the greatest things ever being built it but she, Egypt's really,
0: greatest hits yeah yeah egypt's <laughs> greatest
1: hits yeah and she said you know hold my beer i'm gonna
0: <laughs> <laughs> or wine? do they drink i guess they drink beer then
1: i think the egyptians invented beer i Or at least invented a form of beer. I'm I'm pretty sure beer was being given to the slaves working on the the pyramids. Yeah,
0: because it was cleaner than water, right? Right,
1: exactly. Anyways, I mean, some of this stuff is so good that a lot of later pharaohs attempted to claim that it was theirs. Like this is this is of course one of the they
0: did this is classic man so behavior. much of this stuff
1: you're gonna go, hey, wait a minute. we're still doing that now. yeah, it's like <laughs> just men taking credit for women's work because it was so good. I mean, she had established all this trade, which means that there was money. like Egypt was wealthy again and she turned around and said, cool, I'm gonna build an absolute ton of stuff. and she reconstructed. Older things. She restored the original precinct of Mut, which uh, Mut is the great ancient goddess of Egypt, one of the sort of like prime mythological figures wow. that had that had been ravaged by foreign rulers during the Hyksos occupation, and and later it was ravaged by other pharaohs. And, and that's another thing too: is like pharaohs take over, and whether or not the things that preceded them are still considered holy, and and kind of unfuck with the bull is kind of based on that pharaoh's level of power and how much how ambitious they are and how much they want to try to claim it's not the first time that a pharaoh would try to erase evidence of a previous pharaoh or or try to claim some of their accomplishments as their own but there is a little bit of extra heat on the fastball because she's a woman and that's discussed Mm. later especially in terms of tutmos the third who did end up succeeding her But anyways, uh, the Temple of Karnak, which the Karnak uh, temple complex is like one of the largest religious temple complexes in the world. I mean, it's Mm. built over like hundreds and thousands of years. She had uh, so uh, so many monuments constructed within it and had things refurbished and rebuilt. She had twin obelisks at the time, the tallest in the world erected at the entrance to the temple and one of them is still standing as the tallest surviving ancient obelisk on earth. Karnak's Red Chapel or the Chapelle Rouge supposedly stood between the two obelisks. Wow. She ordered the construction of two more obelisks to celebrate her 16th year as pharaoh.
0: Do people like generically like worship or like pray at the obelisks or is it like a statue? Like how were how did they function back then? Do you know? Yeah,
1: I don't think the obelisks are objects of worship unto themselves. It's, it's more about really impressing the crap out of people. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> they can certainly make statements. I mean, a lot of this stuff is about the glorification of the builder making it. And also... Dare,
0: dare we say a golden toilet?
1: Yeah, I well I, I personally wouldn't want to go there. But um, I mean, there is certainly a lot of kind of edification and glorification of, of the rulers, but also a lot of religious significance, but not necessarily in the terms of like, oh, we're worshiping the obelisk. Right. It, they they can have different significances. They can have stories written on them. She built the Temple of Pocket at Beni Hasan in the Minya government of uh, south of El The name Pocket was a synthesis that occurred by combining Bast and Sekhmet, who are similar lioness war goddesses. Mm. It, it's a giant underground temple cut into the rock cliffs on the eastern side of the Nile and was admired and called the Spios Artemidos by the Greeks during their occupation of Egypt. That's where Cleopatra comes in sidebar mm. Cleopatra Cleopatra is during the Ptolemaic dynasty. This is like the end of Egypt. This is when right. first first the Greeks come in and they take over and then the Romans come in because they've beaten up the Greeks and now they're in charge of the Mediterranean. Um, and Cleopatra was a genius at, at manipulating Mark Antony and Caesar.
0: someday I'm gonna do an episode on Cleopatra. We haven't done one yet.
1: I was surprised Cleopatra wasn't on the on the list, but Cleopatra is a really complex one to to study. But kind of the ultimate survivor.
0: Sometimes the we have a, I have a bunch of these big broads I haven't done yet just because it's like overwhelming to try to 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 encompass that story yeah. in like a digestible fashion. So she's like definitely one of those that I'm like someday.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's a big one. I mean, uh, and we're just scratching the surface with Hatshepsut as well, but um, you do what you can, time that you have. But this temple is, within the temple, there's a long dedicatory text bearing Hatshepsut's famous denunciation of the Hyksos. The Hyksos occupied, I've talked about it before, they occupied Egypt and cast it into a cultural decline that persisted until a revival of her policies and innovations. So she was somebody who really viewed herself as restoring the glory of Egypt yeah. re- and restoring kind of the the sovereignty of the of this place and and then of course this temple was then altered later and some of its inside decorations were usurped by Seti I of the 19th dynasty in an attempt to have his name replace that of Hatshepsut I'm
0: familiar with Seti's name as a Megalomaniac. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right.
1: Um, the masterpiece of her building project was uh was the Mortuary Temple, and she built hers mm. in the complex at Dair Bari, which is a, a, an incredible place that I would love to go to. Um, it's on the West Bank of the Nile River, near the entrance to what is now the Valley of Kings, because of all the pharaohs who later chose to associate their complexes with the grandeur of hers. So the Valley mm. of the Kings, everybody knows about the Valley of the Kings. It's like where all the pharaohs are buried it's in the south of egypt it's in upper egypt and
0: she started it
1: she started that she
0: started the trend
1: <laughs> there is no valley of the kings without Hatshepsut.
0: oh my god
1: and the the tomb that was built there for for her to be buried which later on her mummy uh, mommy was moved elsewhere which is a, another part of the story is uh one of the deepest in the world holy shit it's it's Hundreds and hundreds of feet deep. It's like 10 stories deep or something like that. Anyways, the focal point of this temple, which was called uh Jesser Jesseru or the Holy of Holies, is a colonnaded structure. The way that the Parthenon is, if you've mm-hmm. ever seen the Parthenon, it's like all these all these columns, except that this was built a thousand years before the Parthenon. <laughs>
0: Fuck you, Parthenon.
1: <laughs> to kind of help people contextualize. You know, it's like, oh, ancient Greece. Wow, so old. You know, the Athenians, the Athenian Empire. That's where so much of our modern Western political thought comes from because it's so old and it's so ancient. I mean, it is. No disrespect to that. But when you're talking about Egypt, you're talking about really old. Fuck yeah. So she built all these things. She put Egypt back on the map and uh, they tried to erase her.
0: Do you know how she died? Was it natural causes or is there any information like that? It is
1: suspected. So because of all the inbreeding, um, (laughs) a lot of the royalty had um, skin conditions. So they would have like itchy, irritated skin. Mm. And there were various uh, medicines that were uh, topical ointments and stuff that were supposed to help with that. It's suspected that, yeah, here it is. Her death has been attributed to a benzopyrene carcinogenic skin lotion found in possession of the pharaoh, which led to her having bone cancer.
0: Oh, shit. Some toxic lotion.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Are thought to have suffered from inflammatory skin diseases that tend to be genetic. And this is based on the mummy that they found eventually of her that they believe is Hatshepsut's mummy, which was a whole search in and of itself. The prevailing thought is that she inadvertently poisoned herself while trying to soothe her itchy, irritated Mm. skin.
0: But who made yeah. her lotion? Dun, dun, dun.
1: <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that ancient people accidentally poisoned themselves. trying no, to you know, Trying to alleviate some common wow. uh, ailment. But yeah, she was in her mid-40s That's... when she died. She ruled for 20 years and she was in her mid-40s. Is, in,
0: in your knowledge of Egyptian history, which seems better than mine, is, is 20 years for a, a pharaoh a pretty substantial amount of time or is that pretty short? Not obviously compared to the, you
1: know. It's, I think it's certainly considered a good long reign. I mean, there are reigns that are like a year, you right. know, or, or just, you know, like a single digit number of years because that pharaoh is just not very strong or there's an invasion or they get sick. You know, there's a lot of things that can happen. Right. But for for a woman to become only the second pharaoh of all time and then reign for 21 years, or it's 21 years and nine months by some estimates is extraordinary. And how much she did in that time.
0: Like that's a lot, that's a lot of shit to build.
1: It is a huge amount of stuff. So much stuff that it took years to try to erase it. And there's a lot of people who are, you know, saying, oh no, this is my temple now. And we're just going to (laughs) chip. I mean, there's, there are places in ancient Egypt where there is literally a Hatshepsut shaped hole. Like they just chiseled her out. They were just like, yep, forget this. We're just going to rewrite history. She was never here. We're not doing that. And what's really weird about it is that, so Tutmos III, her stepson, succeeded her. And he was, by all accounts, an incredible general, an incredible athlete, an incredible architect, an incredible figure in his own mm-hmm. right. But it was only towards the end of his reign that all of this activity started being initiated to erase Hatshepsut from the record.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: it's been compared to a, um, a Roman phrase, uh, damnatio memoriae, which I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. But the idea is you really try to erase a previous leader. And because all of these historical things are like, it's in a monument, it's in stone. It's like, it's accessible. It's right there. It's not like, oh, it's going to, you know, when something gets on the internet and it just kind of survives forever because it's like so many millions of copies of e- exist in different places. Yeah. You really can erase people in ancient times. Yeah, I guess it, like the much, question is- With a much higher success rate. What's
0: the point of like, because it's still the same dynastic line. So, and it's not like she could live yeah. forever no matter what. Like they can't bring her back from the dead. So like why, so what is- It's a
1: great question. It's well, There's a couple things going on here. One, and this is, um, it, you know, it's kind of assumed. There's not really like a ton of information about it, but uh, the III and his uh, successor, his son, may have been concerned- and that's Amenhotep II is the son of Thutmose III mm. is suspected by some to have been like the real defacer mm. um, because his father Thutmose III was very old by the time he was succeeding mm. him. Um, so there's a, an idea that he was taking advantage of that because his position in the royal lineage was not so strong because he's like the he's the um, you know he's the stepson of the woman who is pharaoh
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's the son of of her. You know what I mean? It's like his the lineage is like not so strong, like her lineage was actually like perfect to be feral. His lineage not so good.
0: it's like make the other it's like making the other guy look worse so that you look better,
1: yes, exactly. God yeah. Damn. if we can just like erase all these references to her, his claim to the throne in comparison looks a lot better, of course it does <laughs> it's a double pronged attack because at the same time. It's documented that he usurped many of her accomplishments during his own reign, meaning he would say, Oh, I did that. Not her. I built that. Not her. <laughs> oh. And and definitely trying to destroy the the lineage as well. Not recording the names of his queens, eliminating the powerful titles and official roles of, of royal women, such as the god's wife of Amun.
0: Like all women. Like he was before. like erasing all women. Fuck yeah, that dude. He
1: was really trying to make it so that there wouldn't be um, future female pharaohs.
0: I hate him. I hate him.
1: Which, you know, and like the pharaoh is a king, right? And so even even when she assumed the mantle of pharaoh, I mean, she put on the ceremonial beard. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't like, it's me, the queen. She's like, no, it's me, the pharaoh. I snap, you say how high. You know, it's like, there is kind of like a gendered aspect to pharaoh. Mm. And she just embraced it and said, fine. Uh, and that's similar to an, another female pharaoh that came later, Nefertiti. Mm-hmm people may have heard that name and there are early depictions of nefertiti that show her as being feminine and beautiful and she actually ordered that to be changed she said no when you make um, you know future statues of me depict me in a masculine yeah. sense so that there's no question that's not just egypt too that's charge. been
0: leaders that we've talked about around the world like when when queens come to power and and them kind of putting on more of a masculine pre- presence kind of than maybe even they had earlier in their life it's really interesting
1: Yeah. A lot of the the stuff in the story is like, oh, yeah, you're going to see that happening again. But even these erasures were really sporadic and haphazard. Mm -hmm. It's only like the sort of most visible and most accessible images of Hatch that were removed. Because if he'd been really successful, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
0: Well, I'm personally really glad he was so incompetent.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that we that we that we still know. It's possible that Thutmose III, he might have died before these changes were finished. And that, mm. you know, again, that it wasn't really him. It was really his son, Amenhotep II, who was really behind all that. And the other the other thing that supports that thesis is the fact that Thutmose III, during his prime, was an extremely strong military leader. And she put him in charge of the army. Mm. You know, she was so unworried about his loyalty. Yeah, she was she was so sure of that with, the, with her stepson that she said, you know what, stepson? You can be in charge of the army, the entire army of Egypt. Yeah. So if he had wanted to pull off a coup, he absolutely could have done that.
0: You know what I find really interesting? I know you haven't probably heard some of the, the episodes where we talked about this, but there are a lot of royal lineages that pass along and there's a lot of murdering when someone dies, where you just yeah. go ahead and you kill all the potential other heirs so that you can secure, not just on the women's yeah. behalf, but on the men as well yeah um, and so i what I find interesting about this t- story and learning more about this is that they didn't seem to to do that that there were other heirs and like potential people that were connected in the lineage, but they didn't like slaughter everybody as soon as the king died
1: no yeah i mean you do you do see that some in in the history of of egypt for sure you know again it's it's a lot more about erasing somebody's memory is like a more yeah. sure way to kill them in mm. a way, and it's kind of borne out by the way that we've tried to discover, you know, the archaeology of Egypt in the modern times, since, you know, all that knowledge is like lost at a certain point. Mm. And, and there's just people for the last couple hundred years have been trying to reconstruct it. I actually read the um, biography of Jean-Francois Champollion, who is <laughs> the yeah the mouthful. I'll say that 10 times fast. Um, I can't, but he's I, the, he's can't. the guy who's credited with really making the breakthrough to decode hieroglyphs so that we could actually read this stuff and really understand it. The erasure of Hatshepsut's name, it, it was a question and it's called the Hatshepsut problem because when they were trying to figure out like oh what do these hieroglyphs mean and who what is this the line of succession like there wasn't just like a stone tablet lying around saying here's all the kings and pharaohs for right. the last, you know, 6000 years. That doesn't really exist. You know, they had to piece that together from various things. But it, there's a great quote by him You know, he's down at the the temple at Dera al-Bari, which were illustrated with two seemingly male kings, and the translations made no sense. And he says, If I felt somewhat surprised at seeing here, as elsewhere throughout the temple, the renowned Thutmose III, adorned with all the insignia of royalty, giving place to this Hatshepsut, for whose name we may search the royal lists in vain, Still more astonished was I to find upon reading the inscriptions that wherever they referred to this bearded king in the usual dress of the pharaohs, nouns and verbs were in the feminine, as though Mm. a queen were in question. I found the same peculiarity everywhere.
0: Wow. And that's how they first got like tipped off to her, really?
1: Yeah. That's, yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the initial uh, indications. Like where's all these
0: she's? This is two guys on the wall.
1: Right. It's, an, it's a major issue in, in late 19th century and early 20th century Egyptology. And wow. it's, it's about the confusion and disagreement on the order of succession of that early 18th uh, dynasty. And it's, it, it's confusion over the chronology of the rule of Hatshepsut and Tutmos 1, 2, II, and 3. And it, it caused all these academic feuds between leading Egyptologists. Because the Tutmos family is considered very important in the history of Egypt.
0: But she's a part of the family. Is she considered part of the family?
1: She, she's absolutely considered part of the family. And, the, and the, the Hatshepsut problem is like now considered mostly solved as they uncovered more and more information about her and wow. about her reign. But, you know, that took a lot of uh, extra legwork to discover uh, all these things about Hatshepsut that, that people did attempt to erase and, and cover up.
0: Wow, Zach, what a great find. What a great one for this podcast.
1: Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you you agree. I just I I thought what a fascinating fascinating thing. I actually discovered Hatshepsut through watching this total like it's kind of pseudo Egyptology. It's on Netflix and if you just want to like have a good time. It's called The Pyramid <laughs> Code. And mm. this is this is a group of academics who I'm not disparaging them, but they do subscribe to a different timeline of Egypt that is much, much older than the accepted timeline in mainstream uh, Egyptology. But mm. one really interesting idea from that show was Hatshepsut and the attempts to erase Hatshepsut. They did, discuss, they did talk about that. And they also talk about there being other uh, female pharaohs and other queens. And when you look at the statuary of some of these queens, they're seated side by side with the men. Mm. And not, you know, behind and off to the side, side by side. Right. And sometimes they're holding um, the crook and the staff. They are holding the, the pharaoh implements. You know, they have the headdress on. Sometimes yeah. the women do. And so there's a theory amongst some of those folks that there have been many times in the history of ancient Egypt that women were in charge. Yeah. And it's been erased every time.
0: Wow. You
1: know, there's always an effort to erase that.
0: Never surprising, but always disappointing.
1: Yeah. But there's there's a great, um, and I think this is a great note to end on if people want to do further research. There is a, a wonderful uh, Egyptologist named Kara Cooney,
0: hmm.
1: and um, she has done a ton of work. She she has a book called When Women Ruled the World, Six Queens of Egypt.
0: Well, I want to read that book.
1: Yeah. i have to check it out. It. And I it, wonder if
0: it's at the library. Yeah.
1: Let's send people to the library. <laughs> It talks about how these these women were ultimately placeholders for the next uh, male to take the pharaoh's throne. You know, that's how they were treated.
0: But then they were so much more than that and did so much more than they were so
1: much more than that. And they were doing a lot of cleanup for these men. I mean, when you look at what Hatshepsut was, was doing, her father was considered a good pharaoh, but there was a lot to be fixed. There was a lot to be done.
0: Well, she is the first, she's our first Egyptian queen on this podcast and she, dare I say she will not be the last because now we have a huge long list yeah. of other ones to look into.
1: Absolutely. Amazing. It's a really deep well to to draw from. And it's there's a lot of themes in here about how female leadership is really really important to the survival of civilization. To the
0: survival of the species. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because the way that men lead things, war, to... war, 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 war. war economy, economy, economic expansion, money, 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 capitalism. You know, these are very kind of male ideas in a lot of well, ways. Well,
0: there's been actually, people don't know about them, but there's been many, many matriarchal societies throughout time mm-hmm. that more or less aren't, mm-hmm. aren't talked about in the history books, but that had long periods of peace and no war and much fruition. <laughs> And uh, people yeah. tend to forget those and not talk about those. So I love at this podcast yeah. too that we we kind of dig into those because it's yeah. awesome.
1: And there's there's no way that Egypt would have continued in the same way without her influence. She's the one who put Egypt and the 18th Dynasty into a secure footing, and created that that Tutmos the third, you know, as king. Who and he ended up being the Napoleon of Egypt, enlarging the empire but like as big as it had ever gotten.
0: But he couldn't have done it without all the stuff that she prepped for him.
1: Exactly. And she was really clever about how she did it. She didn't try to do it through force. You know, the way that she assumed the, the powers of the Pharaoh in the beginning was to say, the God has chosen me. It's not my own ambition. It's not my own wish, but my father, the God Amon-Ra, has spoken to me and told me that I must do this. So, I mean, just a brilliant person.
0: A brilliant strategist. Exactly. Thank you, Zach. She's amazing. Thank you so much yeah. for bringing it. I'm so grateful for your time and for being here with me today. I love learning about her. And I think I can speak for our listeners and say they love it too. Your deep knowledge about her and Egyptian culture just blows my mind. So I am so grateful that you are here to share it with us. Thank you.
1: Well, it was an absolute pleasure and I really appreciate the invite.
0: Listeners, if you enjoyed chattering with Zach today, you can read more about him and see his picture on our website. You also can see all of the links to the things he does, his social media handles, etc. etc. So broadsyoushouldknow.com Broad's You Should Know is edited by Chloe Skye and our music is by Darren Callahan and listeners thank you for being here every week we love having you and you're helping us grow when you like and share with your friends and your family you are spreading the word about these awesome women for more information about hot shit soup or any of the broads that we've covered you should visit broadsyoushouldknow.com. we have photos of every broad and other information links content that we find about them You can submit a broad for suggestion. You also should hit us up on social media at broads you should know. And we'll see you next week for another broad you should know. And if Hatshepsut's story really grabbed you today and you want to listen to some stories about some of our other ruler broads who knew how to wield their power, I recommend checking out Empress Dowager Shishi, Olga of Kiev, and Ching Shi. Happy listening!